Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hey, Health Connect South Radio listeners, it's C.W. Hall, your host. And this week on the show, Diana and I got to sit down with a couple of experts from Intellimedics. They're a company that's based in Atlanta that is using high-power computing and algorithms combined with genetic studies to look at existing medications that were designed to treat specific illnesses and actually repurposing those to help other patients that have different types of disease states that could also benefit from gaining access to these medications. Doing this, they're able to actually shorten dramatically the time it takes to take a medicine from the research phase and making it available to the patients out in the community that actually could benefit from it. Jeff Skolnick, the chief science officer from the company, is actually going to take a quick minute and share with us why it makes sense to repurpose a medication versus trying to start from scratch and design one brand new for it. Can you give me some of the background on what you're doing there in terms of repurposing the medications? Okay, so a quick biology lesson. Okay, a, a lot of the workhorses in your body are proteins. I mean, you hear about proteins. Proteins are muscles. Proteins are enzymes. These are the guys that speed up chemical reactions. They're involved in regulation. In a given person, there's about 20,000 different types of proteins. And so one of the things that you might ask is, is well, how do small molecules, which are the drugs, work? Well, it turns out if you look at the surface of a protein, it kind of looks like the moon and there's craters. And just like a meteorite bangs into a crater and interacts, that's exactly what happens on the surface of a protein. The small molecules fit into the pockets. And so the question then becomes how many distinct pockets are there in all of nature? If there were an infinitely large number, then every molecule would be a special case. You would have one drug, one target. There should be no side effects. There should be no repurposing of drugs because it would be unique. Well, it turns out that nature is actually remarkably cheap, and there's only about 500 different shapes in nature. And so this underlies why you have side effects, in spite of the fact that medicinal chemists and pharmaceutical companies sweat bullets and work very hard at optimizing for their target when they let it loose. An average drug probably interacts with about 300 different proteins. So one person's side effect is another person's cure. Of the most typical example, you've all heard of Viagra. Now, Viagra was actually a blood pressure medicine. Right. Now, when it was on a clinical trial, they didn't want to give it back. <laughs> they, in most clinical, Shocking. Most clinical trials, you, the, the patients are more than happy to give it back. In this case, they did not. Now, its target was not the target that was intended, and so you have to wonder why this is happening. Right. So in my day job as a professor at tech, we do computer modeling, and we show that there's only a tiny number. So now, why would you want to repurpose a drug as opposed to starting off with a new one? Because you know the side effects. So the problem is, is if you do normal drug discovery, you identify a protein target, you identify molecules that modulate its behavior, you then test it in an animal model, you do toxicity studies, you do adsorption studies, because obviously you're not going to swallow a truckload full of the drug if it's in order for it to be effective. Tiny is better, preferably swallowable. And once a month would even be more perfect, okay? Then you bring it to a clinical trial in people, and nothing may happen or it may have terrible side effects in a subset of the population. 
FDA-approved drugs offer the advantage that you already know what they're going to do. So the time to patient, if you can find a suitable drug, is much shorter. You, you can literally accelerate the process from 10 to 15 years at a billion dollars to one to two years and a clinical trial and hopefully a fraction of the time. And then you obviously have to go through the FDA approval to demonstrate clinical efficacy. So that's why you want to do this. Dr. Jill LaMarche, the Vice President of Professional Relations for Life University located in Marietta, Georgia, also stopped by the show this week. We talked about the variety of health, wellness, and sports-related degrees that they offer both undergraduate and graduate in fields of study such as chiropractic medicine, vitalistic nutrition, functional kinesiology, and several others. Up next, Jill's going to talk about the way that they apply their philosophy of vitalistic wellness to the programs that they provide here at Life University. So, you know, I think medicine where it's at doing phenomenal work is more in a reductionist mechanistic model. We look at life from a vitalistic perspective and and vitalism is all about, you know, really recognizing that the body has an internal ability or innate ability to heal provided there's no interference. And then you look at, you know, how, how does interference get created? Well, we know that a lot of interferences are created based on lifestyle. So we're not going to go into the epigenetic portion in contrast with what Dr. Skolnick was talking about, but we know that lifestyle plays a huge role. And when I look at statistics as it relates to the health, let's say, of North Americans, so I'm including Canadians and, and Americans in that, you know, we're not the healthiest of countries amongst no. around the world. That's right. Yet we spend more money per capita than any other country in the world. So when we look at the offerings that we have at Life University, for example, you know, we talk about functional neurology. It's a new branch of neurology that really deals with daily function and particular activity as it relates to how we perceive the world. Because what we know is that the nervous system is the master system that controls every action in the human body. And the purpose of the nervous system is to adapt to our environment. You know, our nutrition program is really focused on developing that level of wellness. So everything we do at life, from a positive psychology master's to our doctor of chiropractic degree to nutrition and our sports sciences, are all really focused on the body's innate ability to function when we remove the interference. Coming up next, we've got the full interview with the experts from Intellimedics and Life University. Check it out. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us again this morning on Health Connect South Radio. Good morning, CW. That's Diana Keogh, the CEO and founder of Sherwick Media Group, and one of the big reasons why we're able to produce this show and present it to the community. Pleasure to be here. I'm glad you're here. We've got several guests here, so I want to try to get right down to it. This morning, we're going to be introducing you to a couple of organizations in the Atlanta area that are helping folks from a couple of different directions. We've got Stephen Hickson. He's the CFO of Intellimedics, and he's brought his colleague, Jeff Skolnick, Chief Science Officer for Intellimedics. They're a company that is actually investigating a variety of medications, finding out that there's some of those medicines that might be able to be repurposed to treat other illnesses that we didn't realize initially. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting into how they're doing what they're doing uh, and some of the things that they're investigating. So Jeff and Stephen, thanks for taking some time out of your busy day to join us here on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you. 
And then we've got Dr. Jill Lamarche. He's the Vice President of Professional Relations for Life University in Marietta, Georgia. They're a university that has opportunities for folks to get degrees in chiropractic medicine, functional kinesiology, vitalistic nutrition, and several others. I'm looking forward to learning more about what you're doing at Life University. Sounds like there's some cool things happening there. So thanks, Jill. Thank you for having me as your guest, Charles. And so, Stephen and Jeff, we'll start with you and talk a little bit about what Intellimedics is all about. Can you give me first, Stephen, if you will? Well, just give me a little bit of background on you personally, and then uh, kind of lead it up to how you got to Intellimedics, and then we can kind of get some background on Intellimedics, and then Jeff can tell us more about some of the science behind what you're doing. Sure. Well, I'm originally a CPA, but I've been in the media and entertainment business for most of my career. I was a CFO for a television platform for Latin America, actually, wow. and that ended up getting acquired by Fox, one of the, the huge media companies. But I've always had a, an interest in, in medicine and in technology, where technology and medicine intersect. And that's exactly what Intellimedics is. We're very much about powering precision medicine and, like you mentioned, about trying to find new uses for existing drugs that can be uh, prescribed to patients much faster and hopefully uh, be part of the trend of trying to find some new cures for very difficult conditions that up to this point did not have many options. I'm very intrigued by the process of, one, how we develop medications to begin with, but I'm also interested in hearing how you go about taking a medicine that's been developed for a particular purpose and then discovering that there may be some kind of molecular similarities in some sort of ways that actually make it able to help some other disease process. So Jeff, would you like to kind of share about how that comes to be with relation? Because from what I understand, telemedics does place some measure of emphasis on neurologic diseases, for example. So can you give me some of the background on what you're doing there in terms of repurposing the medications? Okay, so a quick biology lesson. Okay, a, a lot of the workhorses in your body are proteins. I mean, you hear about proteins. Proteins are muscles. Proteins are enzymes. These are the guys that speed up chemical reactions that are involved in regulation. In a given person, there's about 20,000 different types of proteins. And so one of the things that you might ask is, is, well, how do small molecules, which are the drugs, work? Well, it turns out if you look at the surface of a protein, it kind of looks like the moon and there's craters. And just like a meteorite bangs into a crater and interacts, that's exactly what happens on the surface of a protein. The small molecules fit into the pockets. And so the question then becomes, how many distinct pockets are there in all of nature? If there were an infinitely large number, then every molecule would be a special case. You would have one drug, one target. There should be no side effects. There should be no repurposing of drugs because it would be unique. Well, it turns out that nature is actually remarkably cheap, and there's only about 500 different shapes in nature. And so this underlies why you have side effects, in spite of the fact that medicinal chemists and pharmaceutical companies sweat bullets and work very hard at optimizing for their target when they let it loose. An average drug probably interacts with about 300 different proteins. So one person's side effect is another person's cure. A, of the most typical example, you've all heard of Viagra. Now, Viagra was actually a blood pressure medicine. Right. Now, when it was on a clinical trial, they didn't want to give it back. <laughs> they, in most clinical, most clinical trials, you, the, the patients are more than happy to give it back. In this case, they did not. Now, its target was not the target that was intended, and so you have to wonder why this is happening. Right. So in my day job as a professor at Tech, we do computer modeling, and we show that there's only a tiny number. So now, why would you want to repurpose a drug as opposed to starting off with a new one? Because well, you know the side effects. So the problem is, is if you do normal drug discovery, you identify a protein target, you identify molecules that modulate its behavior. You then test it in an animal model. You do toxicity studies. You do absorption studies because obviously you're not going to swallow a truckload full of the drug if it's in order for it to be effective. Tiny is better, preferably swallowable. 
and once a month would even be more perfect, okay? Then you bring it to a clinical trial in people and nothing may happen. Or it may have terrible side effects in a subset of the population. FDA-approved drugs offer the advantage that you already know what they're going to do. So the time to patient, if you can find a suitable drug, is much shorter. You, you can literally accelerate the process from 10 to 15 years in a billion dollars right. to one to two years and a clinical trial and hopefully a fraction of the time. And then you obviously have to go through the FDA approval to demonstrate clinical efficacy. So that's why you want to do this. I and see. that's the utility of it. I see. So occasionally we repurpose a drug by accident, like you used the example of Viagra. That was relatively straightforward. Patients were having a uh, effect, a physical effect, when they were taking the medication. Um, that I guess technically, if you want to call it a side effect, um, ended up making it relatively easy to say, well, perhaps we could use it in this direction instead. Well, I'm sure compliance was very high for oh, that Oh, I would yeah. imagine people did not miss high. their medication <laughs> in that situation. Um, what, um, what I also understand is as part of what you're doing, uh, you're also using some genetic testing along with what you're doing uh, on the, the medication side. Can you talk about that? Because from what I understand, that kind of ties in obviously to our our legislative climate now with the new law that's affecting our healthcare delivery and how it's done. Um, because from what I understand, some of the things that you're doing on that side of things kind of with personalizing medication or medicine uh, delivery to, uh, to us kind of ties into that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So you've all heard of the Human Genome Sequencing Project, which is basically a parts list without an instruction manual. Among the things it gives you are the 20,000 proteins and the different compositions and patterns in the proteins. Now, you're not an exact copy of your parents, okay? So the myth is, is you have half the genes from your mom and half the genes from your dad. Well, just like when you copy anything, you also have mistakes. Now, mistakes could be good mistakes or bad mistakes. You may actually have a mistake which makes you better, or you may have a mistake which could kill you when the fetus uh, aborts, and that's the end of it. So the question is, you know, can you figure out which are the drugs that are appropriate for you and not for me? What are your genetic susceptibilities? Now, obviously, it's nature and nurture. It depends also on your background, the environment, luck, possibly, chances. So what we basically do is, is we've gotten involved in sequencing people to try to understand the genetic background. And this has very, very practical implications. What drugs are you incapable of metabolizing? So, for example, what that means fancily is, is that you can't break it down. So... Some people, for example, can't break down warfarin. Now, warfarin, especially in older people, is a blood thinner. It's right. rat poison. Right. Okay? Wow. Now, uh, if you can't break it down, this is not good. You're likely to bleed to death. Well, wouldn't you like to know that in advance? You have a certain genetic disease, and this is where telemedics focuses and, and where its roots came from are the Mendelian diseases like rare forms of childhood epilepsy called Dravet. It's basically the perfect target, not perfect for the children, but perfect for treatment. It's one drug one disease. So what are the mutations? How do you target them? How do you fix them? So you want to know the genetic background. What are the risks? So this got us involved with trying to figure out, which you probably heard of like 23andMe, you know, mm -hmm. here's your panel of genes and this is where you come from. You know, you have purple ancestors, even though you didn't realize you had purple ancestors. You've got these certain genetic predispositions. Also, well, then what do you do about it? Where we come in is, is we want to suggest what the diseases might be, what your disease association is, and it's not perfect. And then the question is the oh my God moment. I have this 30% chance of developing XYZ. What do I do about it? That's where the repurposed drugs come in. 
if we could suggest to you, well, if you have this particular condition with this particular set of mutations, these are the drugs which are most appropriate for your doctor to try. It's a look here, not there scenario. So you may have 15 drugs that are appropriate. Try this one first, then try that one and this one. So what we basically put together is an automated pipeline which tries to deliver in kind of crude stages. It's kind of like the Model T version. It's not, uh, you know, the high-tech cars yet. You start off with a, pro a person, you sequence them, you find out what the genetic backgrounds are, what are the mutations, what are the things they're likely to be associated with. If they have a condition, what is the, uh, and it's a genetic condition, what is the underlying cause, that gives you the target. Then what drugs do you take? And then what we do is, is to validate this, we build a personalized fish model of the person, so it's your fish. It may be <laughs> a, a CW fish, or a Diana fish, or a purple fish. And then we see, does this fish have your disease? Now, it's not perfect. The fish doesn't have things like breasts and hair. So, but it gives you a clue. And so we could actually use the fish as your guinea pig. Suggest what drugs might be optimal for you. And then we can go to the physician and say, try this. So that's the kind of whole engine and pipeline that we're involved in. And so why were fish chosen as opposed to hamsters or rats or even monkeys? Okay. Well, that's a very good question. Well, first of all, people are less compassionate when it comes to fish. But more importantly, it has to do with cost and time. I mean, if you wanted to do a study of uh, five drugs in mice, it would cost you about 100 grand. So you better be right. Uh, Zebrafish, especially for neurological diseases, first of all, you can do a drug for a tiny fraction of the cost, a study, on thousands of fish. Moreover, they have clear brains when they're babies. So if you're interested in neurological diseases, you could literally look into their brain, trivially. So, and, the, and it turns out that they're about 85% similar to us, and so they're a pretty good, though not perfect, no animal is perfect. Cancer's been cured in mice hundreds of times, not in us. But they're a very good filter. So if you want to think of it, they're the logical black box that we use. And then let's say it's like a filter. You can have, you know, there's about 5,000 drugs in various forms, FDA approved or experimental. You test them a small number in the fish. The fish say these are the most promising. You test them in your favorite uh, little furry beast. Then you test them in you if you've got the time. That's, that's amazing. We've, we've been speaking with Chief Scientific Officer for Intellimedics, the company that helps repurpose medications, particularly for uh, neurologic diseases, and we're discussing how they employ DNA-type testing to kind of uh, refine and, and make specific recommendations for the medication that might be appropriate for you. And when we look at the genetic testing that you're, you're doing, how... How wide does it focus? I mean, how, how much can you read from the testing in terms of the breadth of diseases that uh, may possibly be present or may possibly be in your future based on some of the mutations that you identify? It's quite wide, but you have to realize that just because you have a gene which is associated with a disease does not mean you're going to get it. Right. Because there are probably other genes in you which we don't fully understand which may be neuroprotective. For example, you've all heard of the BRCA1 gene. This mm -hmm. is the breast cancer gene. Well, there's actually variants of it that reduce the incidence of breast cancer, as an example. Not all genes and mutations are bad. And so part of it is, is you may have a susceptibility, but there may be other factors that modulate it. So what we try to do is, is focus on the most likely, most potentially devastating conditions for the person, because a lot of it is kind of in the background, the noise, and you're really not sure. But, but let's say, for example, there was one person we sequenced which has a high genetic predisposition towards melanoma. Doesn't mean this person's going to get it, 
But you ought to, as you get older, periodically go to your dermatologist and have him inspect you to make sure you don't have melanoma. So this is an actionable thing knowing that you could do. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of variations, which we are still not at the state of the art where we know mutations or changes where we don't know what they do. One of the things we're now trying to do is, because is, I basically, on my day job, uh, in collaboration with my research group, and I'm very fortunate to work with them, build algorithms that predict what are mutations that are disease-associated, and now even more recently, what disease are they associated with? Because you may have a horrible-looking mutation, and if I don't know what it's going to do, I can't tell you what to look for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's useless. It's like having the sort of Damocles over your head, and you, <laughs> you know, and, and now what do I do for the rest of my life? Right. So our goal is to try to figure out solutions, not just simply scare you to death. Right. Because that's useless, and it may not even happen. So we want to say, okay, for this subset, these are things which are actionable either by watchful observation or if you happen to have certain specific mutations in, you know, a number of cases now, small numbers in statistics, we've actually suggested treatments which have been remarkably transformative. There was this one child that had a rare form of chronic fatigue syndrome that was wheelchair-bound. We did computer modeling. It was one gene. Turns out that in, in some forms of chronic fatigue, ATP is like your bodily fuel. Mm-hmm. She was apparently burning through the fuel too fast, so we designed it in this child, and it's, it's, it's the most amazing, best thing ever happened in my career, because this is what you dream about, was wheelchair-bound, needed a walker, had GI dysmotility, and is now going to football games, walking, and quote to quote a mother, and she was kind enough to let us know these things are things of the past. So this is now done in expanded clinical trials. So she's able to have... Basically a, a normal life. Normal a life. life. I mean, not a perfect life, life but yeah. a life. Now, this is, of course, this may be my only example. I hope that there are more. But this is kind of at least a proof of principle of what can happen when you play this game carefully in consultation with leading-edge doctors and in cases where there is actually a lot to gain. And because it's a repurposed drug, we knew the side effects were minor, very little to lose. And so you just talked about one patient. Um, so where are you in this process? Are people able to find you? Yeah, are people able to go yeah. in and, and be tested? Or exactly, I mean, can I go in and be tested? Uh, you can be tested. And, you know, we've developed uh, in collaboration B- with, B- with B- BGI, which is the world's largest sequencing company out of China, in 10 days. We will have the genetic results back to y- your doctor. Uh, because obviously we don't, it, this has to be modulated because a lot of the stuff is to a lay person could, could be very scary. Right. Uh, and Which was one of so. the criticism of 23 and Exactly. Me. I mean, yeah. you know, you get this thing and, oh, my God, I'm going to die tomorrow. No, you're not probably going to die tomorrow. Uh, but you need to put it in the context, which takes knowledge and background and appropriate counselors. And so our procedure is, is we prefer to work through the doctors, you know, and explain to the doctors, look, this is the things that you may want to worry about. You have a medical background. And so use your insight and knowledge to modulate it and bring real-world experience. This is not now no longer just zebrafish, you know, kind of a lab experiment. This is a real person whose life you got to be very careful with, you know, and provide a context for them. And so, yes, the answer is, is if you want a spit kit, we can provide you a spit kit <laughs> 10 days from now. We can tell you all the wonderful things, and it may be really good news. You, ha- you don't have the Alzheimer gene. You yeah. know, It's not only bad news, by I the think, way. I think Jeff is a hit at cocktail parties, don't you? I would imagine so. Yeah. We are speaking with the Chief Scientific Officer for Intellimedics. They're a company that uh, combines both genetic testing that gives you an idea of what propensity you may possibly have for a set of uh, diseases. They do some focus in the neurologic set uh, of diseases. And uh, with that, you can get some information that perhaps 
you may or may not develop it, but now you at least have information that you can use to uh, do some more effective uh, and routine screening than you would have done otherwise if you were just walking around ignorant of a particular disease. And and that's one of the things I was wondering along the lines of where Diana was going with that question. I'm, I'm wondering pr from a practical application standpoint, where are you today? Uh, it sounds like it's not necessarily ruled out and everybody, the, all the doctors are calling in telemedics and we're getting people involved in genetic testing and, and trying to fight neurologic diseases with it just yet. So we're... And along those same lines, yeah. who's your market? Yeah, is it a consumer market or are we going after doctors or is it um, pharma? Where are we going and where are we now? Well, right now we're in a research market. So we provide our diagnostics to research partners. Okay. We're not in what's called a clinical setting yet. Um, we expect to be in a clinical setting sometime in 2016. Um, we have real two areas of our, of our business model. We have diagnostics, which is these predictive diagnostics that, that Jeff talked about. And then we have the opportunities to partner with pharma and, and for the drug repurposing and development, where the company will earn fees for its scientific services, as well as hopefully have an opportunity for drugs that are successfully repurposed or even new compounds that are taken to market, that the company will have an opportunity to earn a royalty. And so th those are the two broad areas of the company. The company's still in a very early stage or development stage, but we are already working with very large, important global players like BGI, which uh, Jeff mentioned, uh, Pfizer, uh, the Epilepsy Foundation. So this is we're at the very tip of the sword. Um, this is this is very cutting edge, but it's coming very quickly. Mm -hmm. This whole area of personalized medicine and precision medicine, and the types of things that Intellimedics is doing. Um, is being validated every day. Um, companies like Google, uh, they've just announced that um, they're going to focus their incredible computing power and resources on trying to screen for, for new drugs and new, new drug opportunities. Um, you know, the, the 2016 budget, President Obama announced $215 million is going to be in there for, for advancing personalized medicine. So it's exciting to be a part of something that's right at the cutting edge, but that is very quickly going mainstream mm -hmm. and, and is just really going to explode. Now, you've, when in the course of the conversation, when you were describing what you all are doing, you talked about neurological diseases, but I mean, is there's so many within even that bucket? So, are, are we focusing on something specific, or you know, is there a priority cancer or, or just neurological, or where are you going? Okay, the roots of the company were neurological in general, and epilepsy in particular. It was founded by two fathers whose children okay. had I was curious a, about what made that focus happen. Yeah, a, a rare form of uh, epilepsy called Dravet syndrome, which is a very devastating form of epilepsy. And they were very frustrated in that treatment. So uh, Jim Jacoby, who is, you know, uh, the... You know, the lead investor and one of the fathers, you know, his daughter has had this condition for 27 years, and mm -hmm. the treatments really haven't changed dramatically. Right. And so they were very frustrated. The side effects are terrible, and this is how it got started. So we started in the neurological focus, and that's why we built a zebrafish lab, and we have a zebrafish lab up in Boston to test and suggest and try to develop some interesting repurposed drugs, which is ve that's very promising. But the technology itself is very general, as long as it's, it's protein-centric. So okay. if you have a protein-centric disease, cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, many, many other diseases, even infectious diseases, Ebola, for example, infectivity, the technology can be applied to 
the whole spectrum. Now, of course, uh, when you're a startup company, you know, you have to be, you have to pick and choose. You can't do everything. You have a general toolkit, <laughs> but you can't go building every sure. house under the sun. Right. You'll go bankrupt very quickly. So we have a very strong neurological focus, but we are actually looking at our next target is actually going to be, which is very much playing to it, is sequencing tumors, looking at the difference between yeah. cancer tumors and normal tumors, trying to figure out which of the mutations of the tumor are cancer-causing versus just accidental. Again, you're going to kind of see a very common pattern and then suggest repurposed drugs for the mutated proteins that we believe to be causing. Test them in quickly in a quickly developed cell line or in you if you don't have the time. And so that's probably our next area of focus that we're going to be building out. So is it just repurposing drugs or are you also looking at repurposing viruses at all? Okay, well, we're actually collaborating uh, with... Uh, a number of groups at Emory and CDC to actually try to suggest repurpose drugs to kill Ebola. Now, whether we succeed or not, the jury is out. I mean, this is experiments, and, you know, uh, Dr. Richard Compans of Emory is a collaborator of ours, and Ching Yang, you know, and we're actually built, we're going to be testing a series of molecules in the very near future to see whether we can kill it. Keep, keep Ebola from infecting you. That's the ideal thing. It never, get, it never bothers you, so basically it's you know, essentially immunized by a small molecule. Or it kills you, it kills it quickly. That would be the goal. And the nice thing about these repurposed drugs, if they work, is, is you don't have to worry again about, you know, you take this and then you're the rock in the hard place. You're really very sick. I don't know what the side effects are, so do I give it to you? Well, I know what the side effects are. And so we're hoping that this could be done in Ebola, and that could kind of be like a proof of principle to get us into viruses. So while it may look like we're diffuse, actually it's a core technology which can be applied in many contexts and applied very quickly. Our goal is to industrialize drug discovery. I mean, if you want to think of the drug discovery process now, it's very, very, very complicated, and I'm not diminishing it. It's like the, the, the building of cars. If a car is a drug before Henry Ford, you had these incredible artisans, blacksmiths, it was one car at a time. And you spent a long time, and if you were very lucky, your car worked. Ford figured out a way to industrialize and speed up the process and do economies of scale and recognize general design principles, which is how we approach this problem. And so there's a, there's a deep underlying design principle idea, which is enabling us to approach a lot of disease in a, and, and its speed. So we, we term this precision measure, and we can very quickly given a set of targets, suggest something to you and get it to you within literally less than a week, which can then be tested. So the time scale is tremendously accelerated. And if you're very sick, this is what you really care sure, about at that right. point in time. Yeah. For, for you, uh, have we covered what you need to here? Because, I mean, you know, before we run out of time, we have to jump over and start speaking with Jill. Uh, one of the things I mentioned uh, in our conversation last week is we're, we're trying to help everyone that uh, we meet through the show here and through Health Connect South, trying to help them get the word out about, hey, this is what we're doing, this is who we are, we're here, um, and these are the resources that would help us advance this initiative uh, further. You talked about interfacing with research, for example. I know we've featured several uh, here on the show already, uh, organizations that are doing research on neurologic diseases like Alzheimer's and um, the Parkinson's. Parkinson's and mitochondrial diseases that kind of have an array of, of uh, neurologic diseases in there as well. So is how do you find those? Um, um, you know, if that's what you're needing, but what are other resources that may be out there if we could help you find them that would make what you're doing go faster? Well, I think from my perspective, it's just very helpful to have the opportunity to, to tell our story because, again, this is a, a very cutting-edge uh, new approach to medicine, um, applying technology, applying computational biology to medicine. 
Um, so a lot of people just aren't aware of, of these techniques and this technology. Um, it's being validated every day, and, and there's big, big players that are, that are moving into the space. But it's always helpful to know that, you know, there's small companies like Intellimatics with incredible promise and incredible technology behind them. And what we need is the opportunity to tell our story and, and hopefully to attract more partners and, and investors because obviously you need capital to grow a business and build a business. And, and we're in that process. Um, you know, we're raising capital and, and have so many opportunities in front of the company that the only thing we lack right now is capital to really execute on the opportunities. So it's very helpful to be able to, to tell the story and have the opportunity to explain it and talk about it. And so... For both of you, five years from now, are you looking for to be acquired? Are you looking to, what, I mean, what's that dream in five years? It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, we think there's an opportunity to build this company and that this can be a company that can, can really grow and, and find its, its place. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Um, obviously, when you're a part of, of such a big space and such a fast-growing space, um, you expect that that probably at some point some of the bigger players are going to want to come in and take a look at you. But our goal is really to 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 prove this out, to to build a patient population, and to to contribute as much as we can to this area of personalized medicine. Um, so we we're we're really so early right now. We just want to want to be able to execute and and build the company. And so as far as building that patient um, population. Do, are you looking for patients to contact you, or how are you going about doing that? We're, we're not going to interface with patients directly at this point. Um, what we need to do is build a network. So we're really on, on the back end. We need the patients to come in the front door of partners. So those partners can be a number of different players that, that are already attracting patients and bringing in patients in the, in the front door. Like the Epilepsy Foundation. Right, and, and like some of the, the clinics, the major clinics and the, the major groups that, that service patients. And then what we can do is we can offer our service as a very attractive, value-added service uh, for those patients. And we think that's going to become more and more common. Um, we think that eventually almost everybody's going to be sequenced. And they're going to want their sequence interpreted and, and to understand what's going on. That's going to become part of your standard health record. And particularly people that have any type of genetic disorders in their family background. That's certainly going to be, it's going to become standard part of healthcare. And so I know we have to jump over here, um, but to basically, um, there's a lot of criticism of this space that there's, you know, basically Big Brother is going to step in here. And so to just address that before we move over to talk to Gels here, um, how would you address the fear of lack of privacy and Big Brother kind of taking over your, your personal medical information? Well, first of all, the records are anonymized. And so everything that, you know, we deal with is just a random number from, from the point of view. I mean, you could also argue, I would argue exactly the same thing. You go on the Internet every day. Big Brother is watching you there. Yet we all do because it's advantages and disadvantages. It's a cost versus benefit. I mean, it has to be handled appropriately. This is why we choose to deal with uh, the physicians, and a number of physicians now do approach us on their most intractable cases where they really do need some help, and we're happy to provide that. And again, this can be done in a way which is appropriate and not violating uh, any, con any issues. You know, given that the pre-existing conditions no longer block you from being insured, I mean, and your, gen and your genome is the 
worst pre-existing condition you've ever heard of, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you're stuck with it, for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, so I, one would hope that, you know, with legislation and appropriate handling that it's less of a worry, but everything is a cost versus benefit. I mean, you could say, no, I don't want to do it, but on the other hand, it may cost you your life. So you have to decide what your risk tolerance is, just like an investment. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that on average, if it's done appropriately through your doctors and the appropriate interpretation and the appropriate way of uh, delivery, it can be handled and on average, hopefully, will work. Well, if you want some more information about what Intellimedx is doing, for example, you want to take a look at some of the partners that they're working with currently, you can go to intellimedix.com. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-M-E-D-I-X.com. They're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can tie in with them there and, and uh, follow along with the information they're putting out. Uh, but as I said, they, they indicate uh, the partners that they're currently working with. So if you or a loved one or, or you're a physician uh, has an interest in trying to connect with them and see if uh, somebody that you know and care about uh, would benefit from somehow uh, interfacing with the folks here at Intellimedics, you can do it that way. Um, gentlemen, thanks so much for, for sharing what you're doing with Intellimedics. I think it's very cool. I had no idea. This is the first day I've learned that we're, we're doing studies on fish to, uh, to get to I'm kind of intrigued uh, by having my own yeah. zebra fish, yeah, may, Maybe we did swim in the oceans at some point. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but that's, uh, that's pretty intriguing, and uh, I, I think that what you're doing with regards to tying in the, the, the genetic component of uh, illness and even wellness perhaps uh, to give us information that might be able to uh, help us be a little more proactive about our state of health uh, and prevent some of these things or at least catch them at a point where we can treat them much more effectively is great so thanks for your information and for your time today you're very well thank you thank thanks you. for having us and next up we've got dr Gilles lamarche he's the vice president of professional relations for life university here in marietta and Gilles, you you mentioned the fact that you've only been in the city uh, for a little while take me through your background and then bring us up to uh, life university sure i was a chiropractor in canada for 25 years i left practice actually in 2004 and in 2006 i moved to dallas and became a vice president at parker university there and in 2013 the president of life university dr guy reekman me to come and work at Life. And I can tell you that living in Atlanta is the nicest place I've ever lived. I mean, I love the people here. People are friendly. It was easy to build a network to get really connected in the community. So I'm really, really enjoying our time here in Atlanta. Okay, so working chiropractic, now you're helping a university that helps folks transition into that as a career path, among others. Yes. Talk about some of the things that someone can come and uh, get themselves involved with as a career path? I learned very, very early on how to live a wellness lifestyle. And Life University is really focused on that model. So, you know, I think medicine where it's at, doing phenomenal work, is more a, in a reductionist, mechanistic model. We look at life from a vitalistic perspective. And, and vitalism is all about, you know, really recognizing that the body has an internal ability or innate ability to heal provided there's no interference. Right. And then you look at, you know, how, how does interference get created? Well, we know that a lot of interferences are created based on lifestyle. So we're not going to go into, you know, the epigenetic portion uh, in contrast with what Dr. Skolnick was talking about, but we know that lifestyle plays a huge role. And when I look at statistics as it relates to the health, let's say, of North Americans, so I'm including Canadians and, and Americans in that, you know, we're not the, the healthiest of countries amongst no. around the world. That's right. Yet we spend more money per capita than any other country in the world. 
So when we look at the the offerings that we have at Life University, for example, you know, we talk about functional neurology. It's a new branch of neurology that really deals with uh, daily function and particular activity as it relates to, you know, how we how we perceive the world. Because what we know is that the nervous system is the master system that controls every action in the human body. And the purpose of the nervous system is to adapt to our environment. You know, our nutrition program is right. really focused on developing that level of wellness. So everything we do at life, from a positive psychology master's to our doctor of chiropractic degree to nutrition and our sports sciences, are all really focused on the body's innate ability to function when we remove the interference. And so vitalistic nutrition, then, is kind of following on the same path. Is it... Um, getting into, uh, I read an article recently uh, that was written by a cardiovascular surgeon that uh, I'm very interested in. I, I, I'd love to speak with him, actually. I may have to try to do that, um, where he was talking about the fact that uh, cholesterol doesn't, uh, and, and fat, doesn't cause heart disease it's, or vascular disease. It's inflammation that l- allows that to then proceed, um, for example. And I'm very intrigued in, okay, so how do you do that? I would assume that you should be able to, as you talked about, if you get out of your own way and make uh, more healthful choices, then you could potentially head that off and prevent that. So with vitalistic nutrition, what's the focus of that? Uh, Is it kind of in that vein in terms of talking about the inflammatory processes, uh, food allergens, different things like that? What, What is exactly vitalistic nutrition? Yes, and we know that inflammation is the number one culprit. So when you're reading more current research now, we know that cholesterol actually goes to an area that's been damaged right. to protect that area, when in fact it was initially thought that the cholesterol was the culprit and actually leading to heart disease. We know it's inflammation that leads to actually heart disease. So looking at vitalistic nutrition is really looking at everything that someone actually puts into their body and the source of what they're feeding themselves. So if we walk down any street in Atlanta or any other American city, I mean, you're going to see tons of fast food restaurants. Yeah, we lots, all, of, lots we, of barbecue. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just sitting here when I read this article. I'm just like, oh man, because I mean, and, and now it's just get your inflammation here. No, get your inflammation over here. Our inflammation is awesome. Um, I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, basically, I'm feeding myself every day. Well, well you know the old line, "You are what you eat." Yeah, that is actually a truth, isn't it? <laughs> so I tell people, you know, you could choose to eat you know, organic vegetables, fruit, et cetera, and realize that the building blocks for the reproduction of your cells inside of you will be taken from that. Or you can choose to eat, you know, Twinkies or, you know, without putting names, but, you know, fast, different fast foods and imagine that your building blocks for regeneration have to be taken from that. Which would you prefer? Is there nothing in between? I mean, come <laughs> on. Well, I would say there probably is nothing in, there probably is nothing in between. That's probably the truth. How about, is, how about personalized zebrafish? <laughs> <laughs> so so from, a, from a perspective of a, a practical application, who, where do you go with that in terms of uh, a, a career path? You, you know, you, say you go into something like vitalistic nutrition. Where, where, what's your path? Where do you end up? Well, I mean, you could be working in, in, a well, in a clinic that's really focused on wellness, that's focused on prevention rather than focused on you know, the elimination of symptoms. And that's the vitalistic route is to get people to understand that they can take personal responsibility for their health. What's required, obviously, is that they, they know what to do. 
and certainly the, the chiropractic program is that. I mean, as a practicing chiropractor myself for 25 years, that's what I focused on. And though people have a tendency to think that chiropractic is about neck pain and back pain, right. the only reason why some people think that is because they have been helped by a chiropractor because they had neck pain and back pain. But the reality is that the chiropractor's focus is on neurological function. It's on the function of the central and peripheral nervous system. That's what we really focus on. But you know, some of the questions I ask in, in a lay audience I might say, you know, you know, what's in your head? Point out of the head and say, you know, what's in here? And everybody knows that it's the brain. And I'll ask, so what does the brain control? And the yeah, typical answer is, well, everything. But very few people know how the brain then sends messages to and, and then receives messages from the body. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, the goal of the nervous system is to adapt to our environment, to everything that's happening in our environment. And my goal when I was a practicing chiropractor was to make sure that the connection from brain to tissue cell and tissue cell back to brain is, is well connected mm-hmm. so that people can function at a high level. And I think putting it in that perspective is, is useful because I, I was one of those people that, you know, if something is aching, you might be out of line and now you got to get in line. And it was really more functional, not so much, I guess, physiologic from the perspective of neurology. But uh, more recently, I met uh, folks at the Carrick Brain Center, for example, which is also in Marietta. And its clinicians are um, based in chiropractic medicine. uh, And they're treating traumatic brain disorders, uh, injuries of pretty significant types using some, you know, um, novel approaches to that. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, I think it's interesting to have a program here in the community that's actually offering education in those, because it's not just necessarily putting putting somebody in a room and and readjusting them. There's some pretty interesting things that you can do for the health of your patients in these lines of uh, education. Well, we always look at interference as being, you know, thoughts, traumas, toxins. So, you know, what toxins, like what are you putting into your body? And it, it could be the food, it could be toxic, as an example. Obviously, there could be physical trauma. There could be, you know, physical trauma that's micro-trauma because people sit at a computer and develop forward head posture that then affects communication from brain cell to tissue cell. And, you know, the, the thought processes that they have. So the positive psychology program that we have at Life University, for example, deals particularly with that, helping people understand the, the value of compassion, the value of forgiveness, the va- value of... Think, looking at something from a positive positioning rather than, you know, negative, neutral, or stressed. Jill Lamarche, the Vice President of Professional Relations from Life University in Marietta, is here sharing some information about the variety of uh, very interesting educational offerings they provide for folks who have an interest in a career path in you know, the biological sciences, from neurology to uh, chiropractic medicine, functional kinesiology. I'm interested in that one as well because I think a lot of people are kind of trying to pay attention to, say, for example, fitness and health and, and being a, somebody that's uh, delivering that as, as a, you know, from a coaching perspective, um, is on the rise a little bit. You see things like uh, CrossFit, for example, and all these different uh, training mechanisms that people are using to try to get fit. Um, talk about functional kinesiology. I had a gentleman in the studio uh, a week or two ago that was talking from, from the perspective of functional training. What exactly is functional kinesiology? Functional kinesiology is really focusing on how to bring your performance to the optimum level for you. Because your optimal level may not be the same as my optimal level. You're younger than I am. So my optimal level might be lower. But can I find someone who can actually help me develop my movement strategy, my movement process, so that I'm functioning at my optimum? Whether it's walking, sitting, exercising, 
uh, enhancing my performance, like a professional athlete, for example. So when you observe a professional athlete, I mean, there are certain things that you can show a professional athlete to do that would actually enhance, let's say, their, their eye-hand coordination that would allow them to, you know, get a better average when they're hitting. And we want that for our Braves, don't we? No kidding. But that's what really functional kinesiology looks at, looking at individual movements, the individual space that you occupy in the movement strategy that you're attempting to, to manage at its optimum, and looking at developing strategies to help you get there. You know, what's interesting is that my son is going to be running on scholarship at UVA for track, and they actually have one of those trained kinesiologists on staff Absolutely. for the track team. It's, it's becoming, it's no longer the, you know, an average team that has that. The norm is moving there because they've discovered that there's a capacity to actually enhance an athlete's right. performance when you look at them before they're injured. So developing a strategy for movement and particular exercise so that they actually have the strength in the area that they require the strength to perform the actions that they want to perform. The thing that I thought was really interesting about it as we were talking about functional training um, a couple of weeks ago was the fact that he talked about if your back is hurting, you may have problems with your calves, for example. Kind of stuff that's, uh, you know, it seems like it's very remote and, and not connected, but very much interconnected. And so having this kind of uh, help from a professional that's got this kind of background uh, could obviously, like you talk about, whether you're a professional athlete or you're an amateur that's trying to get started, prevent injuries, because that was the topic of our discussion, is how do you start without injuring yourself? I mean, you could have low back pain that's due to an improperly positioned head because you sit at a computer all day long and you think it's the sitting that's causing the problem with your back, but it's the fact that you're developing that forward head posture because you don't take the time to activate your spine in extension. And we I mean, want the listeners to all know that everybody in this room just sat up straight. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. It was, auto, it was automatic. I mean, Dr. Roger Sperry, in his research, discovered that 90% of nutrition to the brain actually comes from movement of the spine. So that if we're flexed and you think of, you know, I guess the nomenclature now is developing a text neck. You, you can walk down Peachtree and see people yes. walking and they're texting yes. or they're, they're sitting in the subway or they're sitting on MARTA or going to the airport. Chin and you down, see them yeah. Chin down, all the way down. They get stuck there and all of a sudden they're realizing, yeah, I got low back pain. They focus on trying to eliminate the low back pain, but it has nothing to do with their back. It's got to do with, with head positioning. Or as in the case that you mentioned, sometimes an issue with a calf. So functional kinesiology, functional neurology really assesses all of that. Well, Life University, um, with the name university, are we talking four-year programs? Kind of talk to me about, you know, the makeup of the student body there. We have a student population now of about 3,000 students. So we always refer to ourselves as we're the small, you know, the not-so-little university that's making a difference. Yeah. That's changing the world. Uh, about a 1,000 of those students are in our undergraduate programs. The school was originally founded 40 years ago as a chiropractic college. And so the, you know, our, one of our programs, obviously, is our doctor of chiropractic program. We are the largest chiropractic institution in the world. So we have about 1,850 chiropractic students presently at the university. We have 12 undergrad programs that range from functional kinesiology to nutrition, et cetera. And then we have presently have three master's programs specifically in nutrition, positive psychology, and sports health sciences. So with a lot of the schools, you have to take SATs, ACTs to get into them. What kind of testing or what kind of prerequisites do I need to, to have to get into Life University? The prerequisites at, at Life are, are similar to any university in the United States. 
you know, the doctorate chiropractic program is, is a graduate program, so you need a, an undergrad degree before you, you apply. You need a minimum 3.0 GPA to actually enter the doctorate chiropractic program. And then our undergrad programs and masters have, you know, similar requirements to any other university. And do I have to have a biology or science background or undergrad degree? It, it, depends, it depends where you want to major. But it sounds like I could do all of my training. I could start as a fresh out of high school, get into my undergraduate work and prerequisite work, and then get my undergraduate degrees and then move on up into your advanced. Well, oh, absolutely. You yeah. can do your, your undergrad uh, prerequisites at Life University and move into a master's program or move into the doctorate chiropractic program. And so is this something, I mean, we are we talking 18-year-olds through 21-year-olds, or are there a lot of people our age? I'm kind of putting you all in my age yeah, group. Changing careers. Yeah, changing careers. What's what, interesting is in our graduate programs, I would say the the ages i don't i can't tell you the average age now but it's it's probably in the mid 20s probably in the mid 20s when we're mm -hmm. looking at our graduate programs where our undergraduate programs yeah attract people from you know 18 to 21 as as starting and so where do most of your graduates end up the majority of our graduates let's say in the doctor chiropractic program end up all over the world um our undergrad programs, I really can't answer, even answer that question because I, I'm not in that department. I'd probably have to ask someone else. But the majority of our undergrads, I would say, probably come more from the Georgia area, Alabama, unless they're actually wanting to move into a graduate program and are coming to us to do their undergraduate work. Well, and, um, you know, that's location, and I really meant to ask, and I, that was a very poorly worded question, but where do they, what kind of types of careers do they end up in? Oh, well, we, I mean, we have nutritionists, we have people in psychology, we have our, our chiropractors, we have, um, you we know, our hospital, sports science. Hospital-based? Are they working for sports teams? So, some are working for sports teams. Certainly our sports science center that is evolving and growing. I mean, the, that focus there is developing, you know, great athletic trainers with functional kinesiology background that can actually go work with sports teams, uh, YMCAs, you know, high school teams, college teams. Okay, and so where does, um, you know, if, if I'm looking for a chiropractor, what kind of training certification certification should I be looking for when I'm looking for somebody? I always, you know, since I was in practice, I'd always tell people the best way to find a great chiropractor is to speak to someone you know that's had great success and get a referral. I would tell you that's probably the best way. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. Now, Jill, it's clear that there's a wide variety of both undergraduate and graduate programs for someone who's having an interest in the, some of the life science type career paths that we're talking about here from uh, chiropractic medicine to kinesiology and nutrition, all those types of things. Talk about the, the initiative that you started recently, the Life Talks World Congress. What exactly are you trying to achieve with that? So the goal of Life Talks World Congress was really to create a platform for conversation with, I was referred to thought leaders and decision makers. So that we can start looking at a different paradigm as it relates to health and healing. That would include everything from great nutrition to exercise to, you know, compassion training to forgiveness. That leads people to understand that they can take a greater responsibility to have an enhanced life altogether. To be healthy, but also, you know, to have better relationships, etc. There really is no platform where that conversation occurs. So when we look at TED Talks, for example, because obviously Life Talks came as a derivative, if you like, in, in my own mind with Dr. Rickman, uh, as it relates to TED Talks, TED Talks focuses on technology and innovation. Nobody's really talking about health and healing 
from a wellness perspective, right. starting at the wellness perspective. Now, we know that we have a, an amazing healthcare system in America that is great at dealing with crises and serious disease. That's wonderful. But who's really helping people be healthy before? So far, the in my experience, the integrative medicine folks are the ones that I'm finding that are really kind of getting into some of the things you're talking about, vitalistic nutrition, for example, looking at what we're taking in and very much treating those uh, different foods and, and beverages that we're consuming as medications because in the end they have extreme hormonal effects on it just like a drug does. So those are the only ones so far that I've really seen talking about it from a wellness and staying well rather than just treating disease processes. Exactly. So that that's what we're focused on. And that's what Life University is really focused on. And so with the, the Life Talks World Congress, what's the rhythm for that? Is it a is it a yearly or is it an ongoing thing? How how, so, how often are people participating in this? So the inaugural event is, you know, this April, twenty third and twenty fourth of April here in Marietta, Georgia at the university. Our goal is to have it yearly to start and also to have interaction throughout the year, similar to what can happen on TED Talk. So everything that we're going to record at this inaugural event is going to get on our website. And most people don't realize, I mean, TED Talks has been around for about 35 years. So obviously their content is huge. And, yeah. you know, people like me, I, I thought TED Talks has been around for about a decade because I've been <laughs> watching TED Talks for about 10 years and have learned so much from those TED Talks. So we want to create that library, a library of resources where people can come to and actually keep learning and make better decisions for themselves and their families. So give us an example of some of the, the life talks that are going to happen uh, at this inaugural event. We've got uh, speakers uh, from the United States, and we have a few European speakers. For example, Dr. Theo Campanoli, he's an MD, PhD. He comes to us from uh, Brussels, uh, Belgium, uh, recently wrote a book called Brain Chains. So just imagine the book what that might be talking about, but how we're actually often chained to the way we were raised, to the way yeah. we developed our thought processes, where there's a chance of shifting that. Uh, Zania Foco is an American. She's considered to be like America's nutritionist, is really going to be focusing on healthy nutrition, how to make wise decisions, even in a world where you know we're rushed. You know, So many people skip breakfast, for example, and she's got all sorts of great ideas on how we can create great foods for ourselves that don't take a lot of time, that are not extremely expensive, but that actually feed the body. It's the energy that the body is really craving. Uh, Dr. Fred Luskin is the director of the Forgiveness Project at Stanford University. And obviously he'll be talking about forgiveness, the value of forgiveness, not just how it feels in your mind and in your heart, but how physiologically... Yeah, from an anxiety perspective. Exactly, how physiologically forgiveness affects you in a positive way yeah. where not choosing not to forgive actually affects you in a negative way and often leads to serious serious diseases. So when we talk about the the uh, Life Talks World Congress, you'll, who, who, who needs to think about it being here? Or, uh, would it be clinicians? Or would it be just you and me out here uh, in the community? Who, who needs to uh, think about? The reality is that it's, it's really open to everyone. Our original focus for year one was let's focus on thought leaders, decision makers, because if we can get thought leaders and decision makers to understand the paradigm that we're putting forth, then the chances that it would filter down. So you get a CEO from a company that comes in that has 500 employees and goes, wow, I want to bring this to my company. Population health management kind of concept. Exactly. Mm -hmm. HR individuals. But at the end of the day, I mean, anyone who's interested, 
in improving their lifestyle would benefit from the speakers that we'll have at Life Talks. And so how did you choose the speakers? For I mean, it was important to choose the right speakers and good speakers. Um, how did you choose them? What, what kind of um, application or were they just asked? Talk to me a little bit about that. So we looked at what we wanted to achieve and looked at sort of the smorgasbord of topics that we wanted to have in this first two-day conference. And we decided that, you know, nutrition was important, proper movement was important, good state of mind was important. So we looked at all that. And then I've been a professional speaker for a number of years. Dr. Reekman's been on the circuit for a number of years. And we, we had contacts. And so different speakers that we had heard at, you know, big conferences that we've been to. And I started doing research as to who would fit. So in every area, I chose two or three different speakers that would bring that w- would bring the value that we were looking to bring to the audience, and then we, you know, dissected it further from there. So, how long have you been working on this? Uh, about fourteen months. Okay, that's actually not that long. No, it's not to that be long. able to pull this this topic or this level of speakers. Good job. Yeah, because like Lynn McTaggart's come to us from London, England, and um, one gentleman that we met here, Richard Moore is the founder of an organization called Children in Crossfire, and he's considered by the Dalai Lama to be his hero. So when the Dalai Lama spoke here at the Gwinnett Center last year, uh, Richard Moore walked into the audience. And Richard is from Ireland, was blinded by a rubber bullet by a British soldier during during the war, and was raised in a family where uh, forgiveness and compassion was the norm. He was raised in a very large family. And it was the norm. But when Richard walked in to the Gwinnett Arena and walked you know, towards the front, and the Dalai Lama was speaking at the time. I don't know if you've ever heard him speak, but he's, he's just a fun guy. He said something like this. He said, you know, I go around the world talking about compassion and forgiveness, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> he says, that man lives it. He said, that man who just walked in is my hero. And there, the Dalai Lama, you know, sort of, walked himself off the stage, followed by all the security <laughs> that seemed to be a little bit antsy that he was actually going into the audience. But Richard Moore has actually agreed and is going to be one of our speakers. So we're pretty thrilled to have that caliber of individual. Uh, one local speaker that we have is Dr. Eric Plasker, who's written the best-selling book, The 100-Year Lifestyle. His statement is, if you knew you were going to live to be 100, what decisions would you be making today that you're not yet making? so that you could live to be a healthy 100. So we know that presently in the United States, there are more octogenarians than any time before in history, so more people over 80. And we know that we're moving, I think, to that by 2040, there will be more centenarians in the United States than ever before in history. So if you and I, you know, being, I know you're much younger than I am, but I mean, I'm still 40 years away from 100, knowing that I might live to be 100 and wanting to live healthy, I'm making better decisions now. Right. So even when we came in and someone asked, would you like a coffee? I've never had a coffee a day in my life. This is what I drink. <laughs> I drink water all day long because I know that depending on my age, my body is made up of 70 to 80% water or depending on who you're listening to scientifically. So why not feed my, my body more of what my body actually craves so that my biological and chemical functions, my physiological functions or normalized as best as possible. Coca-Cola has made me crave Coke Zero, unfortunately. If you want more information about the Life Talks uh, World Congress, you can get that at lifetalks.org. And then if you're interested in learning more about Life University, you can do that at life.edu. I was impressed to see the variety of men's and women's sports that are available there for folks to choose from if they have an athletic inkling, they want to 
participate in some college athletics along with getting their undergrad or graduate degrees. So those are available as well. All that's right there on the website. Any final thoughts before we run out of time, have to jump as, off today, Jill? As it relates to sports, you know, we are the number one school in the nation in rugby for I don't know how many years that's, now. That's awesome. Yeah. 25 so, national championships there at the university. That's pretty cool. Exactly. So we are the not-so-little university that's yeah. changing the world. And people are welcome to walk on campus. I mean, it is an open campus. There, there are no gates to stop you from walking around and just enjoying the campus. And I, one thing we haven't talked about, and I know we're running out of time here, but I would, would imagine that people graduating from Life University are pretty much guaranteed a job, especially with the, the jobs in healthcare being so available right now. I, I think the percentage of placement is in excess of 80%. Uh, you know, from year to year, it, it does vary, but it's, but it's in that percentage range. That's good. Any final thoughts from you, Jill, as we uh, have to get ready to head out? No, other than uh, thank you. It was an honor to be here with you and to be on the radio with such astute guests, and it was a great learning experience for me as well. <laughs> Vice President of Professional Relations of Life University, Dr. Gilles Lamarche, has joined us uh, sharing about some of the cool things that they're doing there for folks who are interested in life science studies um, and a profession in uh, the healthcare uh, arena from a variety of backgrounds. And then uh, Jeff and Steve from Intellimedics talking about how we're able to investigate um, and repurpose some existing medications to do some great things for other folks that may have some illnesses that could benefit. Thanks so much for taking time. Any final thoughts before we have to jump off from you? Yes. I mean, I actually think that there's a key thing that you should recognize, which I think that you know the other uh, guest uh, emphasized, is that medicine is fundamentally integrative. We're a biological machine. We're not a disjoint collection of parts. And you have to figure out how the composite parts work together. And that's the goal of precision medicine. So even though we're, we're focusing at different aspects of it, I think that the goals and the integrative ideas are very much uh, on the same page. Great. Well, thanks, everybody, for making Health Connect South Radio a part of your day again today. And to all of our guests, I want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us and share some very cool and exciting information. Diana from Sherwick Media Group, thanks for sitting in on the mic as always. Always a pleasure, CW. And uh, we would appreciate it if you would uh, share this information with your friends and uh, your social networks because, honestly, you may be the, the butterfly that causes the hurricane down the road with helping these organizations get the resources that they need or uh, help somebody find a, a new career path just because you hit share. So um, make sure you pass this information along to all the folks you know. Make sure you see us same time, same place next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.